0: I'm going to give that a thumbs down really because I've been nursing heartburn all day.
1: to the protagonist podcast i'm todd mack here with joseph dorowski and each week we look at a great character and a great story today we're talking about big bird in christmas eve on sesame street in this 1978 special big bird is played by carol spinney who also performs oscar the grouch this special won an emmy award for
2: outstanding children's programming and it beat out a special sesame street christmas (laughs) among some other (laughs) competition that year Um, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Henson himself did perform Kermit the Frog in this, uh, holiday special. And Ernie, right? Uh, yes. And Ernie. And this was back when Kermit would appear regularly or semi-regularly on Sesame Street, which he does not do now because the children's television workshop is a separate company from the Jim Henson company. And in the year 2000, they bought all of the Sesame Street characters and that did not include Kermit. Oh, since 2000, Kermit, which was the only real crossover character between Sesame Street and the Muppets, he's only appeared one time in new uh, Sesame Street material. And that was for the 40th anniversary special they did for Sesame okay. Street. But otherwise, you only see him in some classic footage that they still will use. Uh, the Children's Television Workshop still can use any of the old material with Kermit the Frog.
1: My kids were surprised to
2: see Kermit. I was not.
1: Right. Which and tells you when was my Sesame Street <laughs> viewing years were before 2000.
2: <laughs> Do you know one other line of demarcation for Sesame Street viewing? Um, Snuffleupagus. Do you know this about Snuffleupagus? No. <laughs> he uh, originally was Big Bird's imaginary friend, basically. Really? Where, well, Big Bird was the only one who would ever see and talk to him. And then, like, Big Bird would turn around and see Gordon coming down the street and say, Hey, Gordon, come talk to Snuffleupagus. And Snuffleupagus would be wandering out of frame right then. And Gordon would come over and Big Bird would talk about Snuffleupagus and no one else would ever actually Interesting. meet him. And that went for about ten years, I think, before they just... Through in the towel, he made
0: snuffleupagus a a regular that everyone can see. The Fight Club element of (laughs) Sesame Street. Now, Joseph, you say you pronounce it snuffleupagus, and I saw you write it that way. I thought it was snuffleupagus.
1: I'm going to second that.
0: Oh, oh, I've, I, I will be corrected. I've also heard you say F things like "ant"
1: for "ant" and other things, so I figured it was now maybe just. Now wait a second.
0: A... Some of those are consistent for the family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I thought maybe it was a Dorowski thing.
0: Oh, well, it's all right. So, what are you
2: guys saying? It is Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus. That is incorrect. <laughs> it is Mr. Snuffleupagus. S N U F F L E U P A G U S.
0: What? So,
2: even though I was outnumbered, huh.
0: I stand correct. uh Snuffle... <laughs> There's a term for this, right? The collective unconscious? <laughs> hang
1: on a second. Hang That's on, a thing. Hang on a second.
2: Aloysius Snuffleupagus
0: is in fact his name. I feel like I knew that, actually.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> I think Todd did not. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Aloysius Snuffleupagus. That's... Aloysius? <laughs> That's uh, Aloysius, isn't it? That's no,
2: no, it. no, That's not. That's Aloysius.
0: <laughs> I, I saw. It. <laughs> I don't this know what this totally is. Totally gone off the rails. <laughs> no, that's how you spell Aloysius, Alo- isn't it? Aloysius. No, that Aloysius. could be Aloysius. Yeah. No, it could A- be
1: Aloysius. Uh, Aloysius.
0: I I've, admit I've, I've, I've never known an Aloysius. Let's see.
1: How do you pronounce guess hmm. Why are you guys putting an F in there? <laughs> this video shows you how to pronounce snuffleupagus. Here we go.
0: Snuffleupagus.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, YouTube has <laughs> YouTube's have spoken. It's actually
2: snuffleupagus, <laughs> and this is how you uh, you spell aloysius. Apparently, called it. Wow. Um, so I don't know if any of that's going to make the final cut or if that's just going to be a special for the patrons. Absolutely.
0: Good stuff. Wow. All right. So Aloysius Snuffleupagus. Is he, he he's in this, this special. He is. Yes, he is. Yeah. is
1: and is this, a, is this the time that he is imaginary friend or is no, he No, this real? is
0: now real everyone. Cause, cause,
2: uh, what's her name? Patty. Or... Does Patty see him? Patty sees him. Yes.
0: Okay. The, the canonized Snuffy.
1: Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I can get over the fact that I've pronounced his name wrong my entire life, but...
2: <laughs> but but you had a uh, a co-conspirator in that.
1: <laughs> yes, and I, I dare say I'm probably not the only one. Wow. So, right, uh, so... Joseph, when was the first time you saw Sesame Street? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw Sesame
2: Street? I, I couldn't tell you when I first saw Sesame Street. Um, it's... You know, it just always was part of my childhood. But this uh, Sesame Street, or Jim Henson particularly, actually has some significance for me and my kind of career arc (laughs) that I now study popular culture. Because in in high school, in like 10th grade, Todd, it was Mrs. Gessel's English class, we had to write a big research paper. And most people were choosing like historical figures, uh presidents or diseases, you know, things along those lines. And I uh I said I wanted to do Jim Henson and the Muppets, and she let me. And that was my first
1: big pop culture research project that I ever undertook. Oh, interesting. I cannot I remember what I wrote about for that, but I'm <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't Spanish literature.
2: <laughs> and then uh then I ended up studying popular culture for an
1: actual career. So, do you do you remember the first time you saw this Christmas episode?
2: I don't. I know it's one we had on. Uh, I've mentioned before that my uncle sent us some bootleg D- <laughs> VHSs. <laughs> we had this on a bootleg VHS of, or it might have just been recorded off TV. Uh, VHS of, you know, it was on the six hour extra long play, so it was really grainy, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it had uh, this and other random Christmas specials. There are so many weird Christmas specials that have been made. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I fa- had to fast forward through a Leprechaun's Christmas to get to Christmas
0: Eve on Sesame Street. Wow, was this one not on the same as, as Rudolph? It might have been in there with Rudolph, the old drinking bass.
1: Your uh, your knowledge of television Christmas specials astounds me. I <laughs> I, uh, um, I I knew the classics. The uh, you know you've got your Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. You've got your, uh, your Frosty uh, Frosty the Snowman. Santa Claus is coming to town but uh I, I have I had never seen this today was my first time. i was <laughs> I had no idea what I had in store. <laughs> I figured there might be some counting. I thought there would maybe there be. Was some some, counting. Uh, I thought maybe there would be some letters, but there weren't No letters. there was yeah. uh, cookie eating, which you probably could. There was a see. lot of cookie eating, yes, yeah, so uh yeah, I was very i was, uh i came came in with fresh eyes, watched it with my little kiddos. They enjoyed it. They enjoy it. Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. They especially enjoyed cookie monster.
2: (laughs) My, I watched it with my, uh, my, so I had it on, on Sunday in prep for this and my daughter and son kind of were half watching playing. And then today, cause I hadn't really paid enough attention. I was writing out the long summary. I put it on one more time while well, I was also um, grading papers <laughs> for my class. and my son like climbed up to watch with me and he sat and watched the whole thing and he loved the cookie monster parts. Yeah.
1: yeah. I actually was laughing out loud at cookie monster. I think he's very funny.
2: He's definitely one of my, the highlights of this, this particular special. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: uh,
2: I guess before we, get into the summary I, I think we maybe need to acknowledge carol spinney and what he has to do to be big bird um yes so did you you, you said you looked into this a little bit and well maybe- so
1: here's what happened this film starts with big bird ice skating and i just sat there and stared at it was like watching a magic trick I thought, <laughs> how in the world does that happen Like, it's not a robot. It can't be a robot. There has to be a person in there. And for the life of me, I could not imagine. Big Bird
2: is huge.
1: He's huge. (laughs) Um, So uh, I checked in the recess of my mind and found a little video showing how he does this. I was astounded. And Carol Spinney
2: has done Big Bird from the beginning. He's going
1: on, what, 40 years now? Decades. (laughs) It's amazing. So, uh, do you want to tell us how he, how he pulls this off? Well, yeah, I'd be going back to
2: some earlier research in my days. You, you watched the video today. Do you want to, well, I I will just say in general, if you watch Muppets and that goes for like the Jim Henson Muppets or Sesame street, uh, the, the Muppets, which is a combination of marionette and puppet. So there's a hand up doing the head and then there's the marionette wire doing the arm. Usually. uh, But most Muppets are left-handed because the Muppeteers have their right hand up doing the mouth and their left hand is controlling the left hand of the Muppet. And often nothing is happening to the right hand. (laughs) If you you actually start to pay attention to Muppets or the puppets on Sesame Street, their right arms are often just plastered to the sides of their bodies and don't move. That's exactly it. If, if there are movements, it is a second puppeteer is doing the right hand, usually.
1: Or, this is how Big Bird works. Uh, there is a man inside of that ginormous suit, which apparently is has to be just hot, hot, hot Yes. <laughs> inside of there. And he has his left arm inside of the wing, and his right arm extended all the way up, straight high, up. high, high, straight up into that mouth. And he's doing Big Bird, Big Bird's face and his beak, I guess, with his hand. Yes. and moving the head around and uh, and then that r- the right wing on and sometimes and I was looking at, at it on this one pink specific attention <laughs> and the right wing seems to me to be fairly inert throughout uh, but um, from the research that I was doing apparently sometimes they have a wire connected between the right arm and the left arm so when he moves the left arm down it pulls the right arm up if he lifts the the right arm up then his his uh, if he moves his left arm up, then the right arm will drop. So they're always sort of mirrors or opposite of each other.
2: Like Um, there is
1: some impressive,
2: like engineering innovation that went into creating the early Muppets. And I mean, it still goes on They still do some amazing things, but like the, the thought process of how are we going to make this work? I want this, you know, big bird to be part of this. And, but how are we going to make that work? Uh, it's pretty impressive. And there's, I, I've heard both. So Todd, you can tell me what you saw for this and it may be the technology has changed that initially. I think it was, um, kind of a, a screen within the feathers was how he could see, like he was looking out through yes. the feathers. So the little mm-hmm. screen, but I've also heard that there's a TV monitor that he looks at in there. So I'm not sure that uh, maybe, it, maybe the it's been
1: TV, both. Mo- TV monitor is what I, um, is what I saw. Okay. Sometimes uh, they put, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they have a little hole Mm-hmm. In Big Bird's chest that right, he can see out of, he peeks through the feathers. <laughs> yes, but when he when there is a hole, it's uh it's always covered by a tie. So if you ever see Big Bird with a tie on, it's because there's a hole in his chest. <laughs> um, and I and I I mean I remember seeing Big Bird with a tie on, uh, yep. but that's why. Okay. And Big Bird's a man, which I didn't know. I mean, a male bird, <laughs> which I didn't know. Yeah, I but he's always... also
2: supposed to be uh more child right, child's age. Yes. Yeah.
1: Six years old is the uh, is what the, what my research tells me. It's supposed to be psychologically about six.
2: Yes, and um, I said that Carol Spinney does both Oscar and Big Bird. Uh-huh. There are a couple scenes where they're both like they're talking to each other, and it's a wide shot, and they're both talking. I believe the way those are done. And again, this is reaching back to some old research. Was uh, a puppeteer would do Oscar and like do a Oscarish voice, and then later on Carol Spinney would dub the Oscar voice. Ah, uh, okay, over.
1: It's, it's, here's the thing that's amazing to me about Big Bird is you can watch the video and see how it's done, and when you are watching Big Bird, you're still thinking that's impossible. Like <laughs> it has to be magic because, <laughs> because even after they tell you the trick, it, it's, it, it's impossible to imagine that that's what's really going on. When you see him like contorting his body and doing all kinds of – it's just amazing, amazing. And then
2: one time in my life, I had the chance to see a Muppeteer uh, like at work and it wasn't like on a set or anything. They were giving a presentation. They were at a podium and they talked about working for the Jim Henson um, or, or for the children's television workshop. They talked a lot about their experiences. And um, this was uh, the Muppeteer who does Prairie Dawn. And then she put on the Prairie Dawn Muppet and like started talking and like I'm sitting there, she's standing in full view, but I am watching this Muppet as though it was a person. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like I, I see her completely just standing there and I can tell she's moving her arm, but Prairie Dawn, it seemed like she became alive uh, in that moment. And it was amazing how it sucked you in. And I remember reading that after the first season of uh, Sesame Street, they were planning to do these bits where children would come in and talk to Kermit or talk to Grover and they weren't going to script the children. It would just be, you know, whatever they said. Uh-huh. And, but they were worried about destroying the magic For the children, (laughs) like Uh for these individual children who were going to come in and they were going to see that there's a man crouched down doing, you know, Kermit's voice and everything. But they found that the children never cared about the man that was down there. They would just talk and make eye contact with the Muppet and, you know, treat the Muppet as though it was a real living thing.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about that later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I listened within the last few months and I cannot find what podcast it was, but there was a kind of extensive interview with Carol Spinney and he talked about, like getting the job and like meeting Jim Henson and having a conversation with him and okay, you know, what kind of voices are you going to do? And, you know, having to do that, that job interview.
1: Yeah. Apparently what I read is that, um, Henson approached spinny like early on and said, Hey, we should talk about the Muppets sometime. And, and Spinney was like, well, like he did, like he didn't (laughs) realize that it was a job offer. (laughs) Right. So like 10 years passed and then Jim Henson found him again and was like, Hey, By the way, I really did want to talk to you 10 years ago. And he said, (laughs) Oh, okay. And then got the job. And he's had it. Uh, Job stability. My goodness.
0: Because Carol Spinney was was so young at the time. You know, a a young puppeteer and performer. But he had a a talent that is evident now. All
2: right. Well, now that we've broken down
1: some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, Todd, what is... Oh, I have to say one other thing of trivia. I'm sorry. Carol Spinney was going to go into outer space. Did you know this? I did not. What? On the shuttle amazing he was going to go in and they they were going to use the government wanted to use big bird to teach kids about space and he was going to go on the challenger and then he didn't because they couldn't figure out how to make the big bird suit work in zero gravity so they pulled him and sent the school teacher and and that was the 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 last flight of the challenger the this is explosion. the most tragic trivia that i've ever heard can you believe heard. that so so <laughs> tragic on somebody. Else. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's just sad because that's a sad thing. For that's like, I think that's one of the saddest like moments from my childhood. Like first real kind of tra- tra- traumatic tragedy things that happened when my mom came in and said, "Hey, this thing happened," and so there's that, and, and, and Reagan's great speech. And then and then there's this thought of, like, what if Big Bird had been in the space shuttle when that happened? I think. I don't I can't, know. <laughs> I can't even process it, really. I can't either. I can't either but um, anyway, according to the recesses of my mind, that's what happened.
2: And we'll have some links to those recesses of your mind in the show notes. Yes. I mean, All it's, right, but I say we... It's Wikipedia, we, but yes. <laughs> we've we've covered uh, the some of the behind the scenes uh, interesting facets of Muppets and Sesame Street. Um, but Todd, what about this? Uh, what's a quick synopsis of this particular special <laughs> that we're talking about? Christmas Eve on Sesame
1: Street. Uh, well, you've got two main stories here, uh, lines. One, so I guess like plot line A is Oscar has told Big Bird that. Or brought to Big Bird's attention the fact that it might be difficult for Santa Claus to get through a, a chimney. And uh, and now Big Bird's concerned about that. Uh, and also Bert and Ernie are trying to get presents for each other. And uh, so if that sounds interesting to you, <laughs> it's on YouTube. Uh, you can check out uh, Christmas Eve, Sesame Street Christmas Eve 1978. Uh, it's delightful to watch with your children. Uh, it's yeah. definitely from 1978. <laughs>
2: 1978. So the, the hairstyles are, the and the hair clothing styles,
1: styles and the pacing the music yes, it all just feels very light, late 70s early 80s and mm-hmm. and it's it's charming it I, has I also I really been released
2: on a dvd which I, it's not a terribly expensive purchase uh on dvd <laughs> and i i don't, it's not available on Netflix. I did not check to see if it's on, like if you could buy it on Amazon. But I would assume that that would be an option.
1: We'll check it out. If it is, we'll we'll put it in show notes. All right. So before we get
2: into the more spoiler filled discussion of Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, Todd, have you had people asking how they could give us money for this podcast?
1: Every day, people are saying, "How can I give you money? I I am so grateful for this podcast. I want to show my gratitude." By giving you a small token.
2: And we don't want you to show too much gratitude. We'd be happy if you showed us a gratitude at the rate of a quarter per episode. Which, did you know there's an easy way for this to happen, Todd? There is. There's a very easy way. (laughs) Please tell me. It is at patreon.com slash protagonist. And what this service does is you can sign up to make a monthly donation to... Uh, any, I, there's, there's any number of podcasts that use this as a means of supporting themselves because while it is free for listeners to download, it isn't necessarily free for us to upload these podcasts, uh, onto iTunes and other streaming platforms, so if someone goes to patreon.com slash protagonist, they can say, I'd like to give a dollar a month, a simple donation, and it would then automatically be taken, uh, out of your account and put into a small, uh, pay- uh, protagonist account, which allows us to pay for things like web hosting for our website and, uh, the service that we use to upload these audio files and maybe eventually some new equipment. <laughs> Uh, for, for recording. And so, uh, or another way they could find the exact same place is to go to protagonistpodcast.com and click on the support button. So, listener, please, if uh, you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to make a small donation to help us out a little bit, we would definitely appreciate it.
1: I'd just extend one small invitation, and it is this ask yourself, how much do I think this podcast is worth to me? So, think about your edu- your uh, entertainment budget for the month. How much do you spend on Netflix? How much do you spend on maybe going out to the movies or, uh, music for the month? And then think about our little podcast and think, how much is this worth to me? And then maybe jump over to protagonist, uh, for to patreon.com slash protagonist and give us a little donation. It would go a little bit, goes a long, long way for us.
2: And the, I think the nice thing about the Patreon system is that it's not built, uh, to really, uh, garner big donations. It's built to garner lots of small donations. That's the whole purpose. And so if we have uh, a number of our listeners who are willing to do that. It would, as we said, help with some of the the fees that come along with uh, producing this podcast. All, All right. right. Well, now on for the full synopsis. I'm of, sure there
1: everyone's waiting on the edge of their seats with bated yes. breath to know Bye what enough. what could possibly happen what as
2: dark Bird- turns happen in Christmas Eve <laughs> on Sesame Street. <laughs> All right, here we go. It is Christmas Eve, and the Sesame Street gang are all ice skating. Various hijinks occur, including a game of hockey with Bert's shoe, jumping over barrels, and a game of Crack the Whip. As they're leaving the rink, Oscar the Grouse challenges Big Bird's belief in Santa Claus, asking how such a large man could fit down a skinny chimney. Big Bird and his friend, a girl named Patty, ask Kermit about this, and Kermit says he'll ask other kids what their ideas are about how Santa can get down a chimney. We cut to Bert... Uh, who is puzzling over what to give Ernie for Christmas when he decides to get a soap dish for Ernie's beloved rubber ducky so it won't keep falling into the bathtub. Ernie at the same time decides to get Bert a cigar box to hold his beloved paperclip collection. We now see a series of violently adorable <laughs> scenes of young kids <laughs> talking with Grover and Kermit and describing how they imagine Santa could possibly fit down a chimney. this These are some of the best bits of... All of Sesame Street, I would yeah. say, is when kids are talking to the Muppets, and it's completely unscripted. And these are awesome children that are doing this. Yes. Uh, in a bit of the a gift of the magi situation, Ernie goes to Mister Hooper's a store bit
1: of, a bit of a gift of the magi <laughs> situation. Just
2: just a touch. There's there's a hint, a wisp. <laughs> uh, Ernie goes to Mister Hooper's store, which apparently is a barter. <laughs> store (laughs) and he trades his rubber ducky for a cigar box immediately after this bert comes in and trades his paperclip collection for a soap dish well we see more cute children offering imaginative explanations in one-on-ones with grover cookie monster uh tries to write a letter to santa listing the cookies he would like but in his excitement he eats his pencil and then looks, looks around for it. And very confused. <laughs> uh, uh, then we cut to Big Bird and Patty having a chat with Kermit, uh, about what he learned from talking with children. And they decide that nobody knows how Santa does it, which causes Big Bird to have a bit of a panic. Cookie monster is now trying to type a letter <laughs> to Santa, but in his excitement, he eats the typewriter <laughs> and the paper that he was using. Uh, Big Bird and Patty have Snuffleupagus, and that is how you pronounce that, everyone, if you're wondering. <laughs> they have Snuffle Snuffleupagus try to fit into a barrel to see if Santa could get into a chimney. And impressively, Snuffleupagus does get four feet into the barrel, but that is all. <laughs> but
1: then he can't get out.
2: He can't get out.
0: Yeah. How does the Snuffleupagus puppet work?
2: There's two men. <laughs> there is a rear Snuffleupagus <laughs> and a front Snuffleupagus. Um... Let's see. I don't
1: really understand how Big Bird considered getting uh, Snuffleupagus's four uh, four paws into a barrel a victory. <laughs> it's not like he went all the way through it, or yes, he wasn't or sliding got all the way down inside it. of it. But as soon as he had his four feet in, they were like, "Oh, victory! We we've done it." Yeah. And then the only problem is now, how do we get out? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I I I think I've often wanted to see Snuffleupagus try and shimmy down yes. <laughs> the barrel. Um. Let's see. Then we cut to Bert and Ernie deciding to open their presents early on Christmas Eve night. They're both very excited, and this, for a young child, is tragic. <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> uh, even though, uh, let's see. Oh, so they open it, and Ernie receives a, uh, a soap dish, and Bert receives a uh, cigar box. And they both act very excited, even though they don't have the objects that are you supposed to You know what, my, go da- in what my
1: daughter said about the cigar box? What was that? That is bad. (laughs) Cigar box?
0: That causes cancer. (laughs) Sesame Street is in the inner city. Why does Mr. Hooper have a cigar
1: box in his store on Sesame Street?
0: My my concern with the uh, exchange there is that it always felt very lopsided because Bert didn't have a song about loving his (laughs) paperclips. And if I didn't know that Rubber Ducky wasn't the most important thing in the world to ernie then i didn't know that two plus two was four
1: (laughs) man when ernie gives his rubber ducky up i'm i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself but when he when he gives it up and he and he he's his voice kind of cracks oh and bert does the same thing could i maybe come back and and visit my paperclip collection (laughs) well he kind of starts and he goes well never mind and then he like turns away and my 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 little my little heart just broke for him (laughs) so sad
2: all right. But wait, Todd, you don't have to be sad because right after they've opened these gifts and they're awkwardly trying to think of why they're not going to put rubber ducky or paperclip <laughs> paper clip collection into them, Mr. Hooper knocks on their door and he delivers a gift to each of them, giving Ernie his rubber ducky and Bert his paper clip collection, a little happier version of the gift. Yes. From um, we now cut to Cookie Monster trying to call Santa Claus on the phone, but in his excitement, he eats <laughs> <at> the telephone. <laughs>
1: And it calls calls (laughs) Santa And and you hear a
2: Santa voice come from Cookie Monster's belly. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right. And then uh, Patty uh, comes to Gordon to tell him that Big Bird is gone. She went to check on him, and he was not in his nest. Big Bird has gone up to the roof to watch the chimney and try and catch Santa Claus in the act, but no one else knows that. So everyone goes out to search for Big Bird, including Oscar the Grouch. And on the roof, Big Bird is asleep and misses the sounds of jingle bells and a mysterious shadow that passes over him. Big Bird wakes up and goes inside to warm up. He sees Patty and Gordon who make him come into the apartment to thaw out his giblets. <laughs> uh, when Big Bird's on the roof, there's the line where he says, Oh, I think my giblets are frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked me up. No way. Uh, Big Bird, in the apartment, he sees that Santa has already come, leaving a fully decorated tree and presents, even cookies for Cookie Monster. Gordon explains, though, that the most important Christmas miracle is that Big Bird is now safe and sound and with all of his friends. The end.
1: The end. And then they sing again.
2: Yes, there's some, some long musical numbers in this one. And then one. they
1: come back in the apartment and...
2: Oh, uh, yes, and then a post credit scene. Yeah, Marvel, that wasn't just you. There's a post credit scene on this <laughs> of uh, Cookie Monster lying down and moaning next to a bear tree because he's eaten the tree itself.
1: <laughs> Eat your heart out, Stanley.
2: <laughs>
1: wow. Where do we begin? Uh, shall
2: we uh, start with Big Bird and Oscar? Yeah, so... so um... Which, by the way, it makes it more significant to know that carol spinney's doing both of these
1: yes absolutely <laughs> They're
2: polar opposites
1: so i'll say when this started i thought is this sesame street on ice like the whole entire thing is going to be on ice is that is yeah, that what i guess this we is? should
2: say with so big bird looks just like big bird on ice but the other muppets these are like imagine the uh the characters that are walking around disneyland like those kinds of versions of Bert and Ernie and the Count and Cookie Monster,
1: and they have kind of voiceovers as they're playing with each other. Yeah, their mouths the aren't little...
2: moving at this point. And Is then it... once they leave the ice rink, they're back to normal.
1: It's a sweet little girl <laughs> that teaches Big Bird how to ice skate. And Big Bird, my goodness, what a what a quick study!
2: <laughs> yes, it goes from from falling down, like can't keep his feet under him, to doing some nice spins
1: really quickly. Yeah, and 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 lifts, lifting the little girl <laughs> up, and wow, uh, it was pretty pretty impressive. But they're doing this game where they're spinning, uh, spinning each other. So when you hold hands and you spin around, the person on the end gets a lot of momentum. And then they let – it's uh, Oscar who's on the end. And they let him go, and he goes flying. <laughs> this is like the most violent thing I've ever seen on Sesame Street. He, he, he goes, goes, crashes through walls. He goes flying off the rink, through the door, through two <laughs> drywall walls, and then down these big stairs and out into the street. And, and immediately Big Bird is right there to pick him up and say, are you okay, Oscar? Big Bird is fast <laughs> on his feet and uh, gets there and picks him up. And, and Oscar says, oh, like, let's do that again. And I thought, this is not a regular episode of Sesame Street. <laughs> Although there is some counting. Count, the count is there, and he does count some barrels. He Monster beginning. eats some cookies. big Cookie <laughs> so- Monster eats some cookies. But uh, I was just, I was just surprised. And then is it is it then or shortly thereafter when so Oscar says well what about what about Santa Claus and the and going down the chimney and and Patty and Big Bird are offering their, their defenses yeah their defenses and then <laughs> and then Oscar says you must be the stupidest and then this train drives by and you just see Oscar's <laughs> mouth going like for a, a quite a long time uh, but
2: you're just hearing the rumble of the train you don't know what he's saying but you you're <laughs> given to understand that he's like potentially you know, uh, swearing at big
1: bird, at big bird. <laughs> uh, wow i don't remember this a cigar box uh, swearing oscar the grouch calling big bird stupid and then it's a little a little edgy <laughs>
2: Um, there, well, speaking of edginess, there was one line that was changed according to, uh, Wikipedia, uh, instead of saying, let's go do it again. Uh, the original line was, I've been thrown out of worse places. <laughs> 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 they decided that was too edgy. <laughs> wow. So, um, uh, yeah. But I will say, uh, about like the cigar box, um, when I was at that presentation with some people from the children's television workshop, they said, um, they actually have a warning now that they've released on streaming and, uh, on video, like original episodes of Sesame Street going back, you know, 30 uh-huh. plus years. They, they say like, there's a little warning, like there's some content that we wouldn't do today. And it's things like, um, when Alistair cookie introduces monster theater and the earlier ones, he's smoking a pipe. And they said, we would never do that today, <laughs> but in the seventies, right. we just kind of did it. <laughs> yeah. And Mr. Hoover just has an empty cigar box in his store that he hands out to
1: a child. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it it was really interesting, but I thought it was really cool. All
2: right. So uh, there's this, uh, the relationship between Big Bird and Oscar, and again, just one person doing the performance, but they are such opposites in this. Like, obviously we all know what Oscar the Grouch is, but Big Bird, even more so than I remember him in being regular, in in regular Sesame street, like in Uh, this, he's just innocence. Like he is just pure pure innocence, naive innocence. (laughs) And Oscar is this ultra,
1: ultra cynicism that's kind of encroaching and trying to destroy Big Bird's worldview. And he sings, uh, Oscar sings this uh, song called I Hate Christmas, which apparently has been cut out of some versions of this. Yes, and some re-airings. That song's not in there. But it's, it's just very, um, I'm trying to remember where we talked about this before in previous episodes where we talked about children's things from, you know, eras bygone that seem to be a little bit a little bit edgier, grittier, earthier than than some of the things that we you know shudder that our that our children might see today and and I just I never suspected it coming from Sesame Street <laughs> but this Oscar the Grouch is a very grouchy and and not just like silly grouchy but like real grouchy like there's an edge to his meanness towards Big Bird. He's mean, very mean. And Maria there's a, there's a part where Maria kind of like puts him in his place and she has to get really tough with him. And it's not like, like pretend play tough. It's really real tough. (laughs) Like,
2: like you've done a bad thing and you're going to correct it. And if you don't, I'm going to make you correct it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I I thought it was surprising. I mean, I liked it, but, but I, it kind of caught me by surprise.
2: So, um, what do you think about, uh, of all the characters, Big Bird's the only one that has any kind of arc (laughs) really in this, um, what do you think of uh, Big Bird's kind of crisis of, I don't know what you want to call it, a crisis of faith in Santa Claus or crisis of innocence in his you know, worldview? Or I, don't know, I don't know how to define it. But uh, I do
1: have a hard time understanding, and um, I, maybe I'm just a curmudgeonly old man now, but I, obviously. Did have, I did have a hard time understanding why it makes a difference if Big Bird understands how he does it, if it's happened every time. Right. Yes. (laughs) Like why this year all of a sudden is he worried that no presents will come because now he doesn't understand. Does that make sense? It's like, yeah, it's like a, it's like, it's like if I close my eye, you know, playing hide and seek, if you close your eyes and I can't see you, then you can't see me kind of thing. (laughs) Like (laughs) I just don't understand, but, but you know, I'm not six or a giant yellow bird.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think there is kind of a child logic to that though, where suddenly you start to wonder about how something happens and it makes you, like you, surely you've had a child who gets obsessed with one thing <laughs> and wanting to understand never. this one thing.
1: <laughs> My children you, never obsess about anything. You, you
2: end up checking out every book from the library on that one thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but Andrew like, has a, has a I, comment. Well, I just don't, give me the, this one thought here. I don't understand. Like if you were going to say, um, I don't know, like why, is, why are some dogs white? and you don't understand it, it wouldn't, even a child, would it, would a child think like there can never be a white dog? Cause I don't understand why dogs are white. Like, or the sky is no longer blue because I don't understand why the sky is blue. Like I'm going to go out tomorrow and it's going to be green or purple or orange. Like, I don't know. Right. I, I had, I had a I, time I with see that,
2: but, um, maybe not calling it like a crisis of faith in Santa Claus, but maybe a, um, a need to know, a need to understand <laughs> the way it functions. Yeah, uh, that, that makes a little more sense than maybe saying like, he's, he's doubting that Santa Claus exists. Like, he's really wanting to understand how, but he does also, like you said, he does have that concern. Well, how is he going to bring presents if he can't get down the chimney? Yeah, so there, there is there still that no, element like, of it. There
1: won't be a, there won't be a Christmas this year. Or there won't be presents this year. And that's so sad. And I just, uh, I had a hard time wrapping my 33 year old brain around it. And, and even my like virtual six year old brain, I had a hard time <laughs> wrapping around it, but my kids weren't worried about it. So so I, it seems I to think work. I, I think I'm just a curmudgeonly old, I, I, an old curmudgeon.
2: And I maybe I wonder if maybe because that wasn't an issue for me, and I never thought about. it, But I wonder if it's because I've seen this every Christmas, you know, from when I was a kid. You yeah. know, this was one of the regular Christmas rotations, so I was accepting it from that point on, and I don't even notice
1: it. I'm just crotchety. Sorry, kids. Your your ebonies are Scrooge. <laughs> I, I think a everyone hug. everyone knows you're the Scrooge of this podcast. Yes, team. <laughs> I have no heart. <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you one thing that I loved about this episode is the um well those moments you you what was your violently adorable Yes <laughs> These kids and their and their conversations with Grover, especially Grover, um is so Grover is so tender with those kids and it's totally unscripted and it's just magical the way that, that they interact with him. And you get this kind of initially with this, this cute little scene with Big Bird um, learning how to ice skate. So, so, so along with the kind of gritty, the, like the this edginess, uh, like with Oscar, Which, I think you wait, also wait, it's, see... It's edgy for Sesame Street, es- not like it, right. edgy. <laughs> no, but it is edgy for Sesame Street. I, I think it's edgier than well, anything that we would expect from Sesame Street today. Yeah, I don't
2: today. think they'd, they'd have Oscar that grouchy today.
1: No. Um... The the thing that amazed me was that it's combined with this really sweet like tenderness that I I think is like really at the heart of Sesame Street, um, and I really really liked it.
2: Yeah, there, there's something about the way the kids clearly believe they're talking to Kermit and Grover in those. Yes, but also the awesome imagination of children. <laughs> When the prompt is, you know, how does Santa get through a chimney? And they just come up with these off-the-wall things that no adult could ever write. <laughs> yeah. When, I, when think my favorite, extra-
1: I think my favorite is when Grover says, he's talking to the little boy, and he says, Okay, now pretend like you're asleep. Okay. Okay, I'm Santa Claus. I can't remember the kid's name. Little boy. How do I get out of here? <laughs> the little boy's, like, like, totally into it. He closes his eyes, and he's whispering, he says, go out the door. And... <laughs> Grover comes back the door's locked <laughs> and like they just it goes on for like quite some time and the kid time. is holding
2: his sleeping look like his eyes are closed and his face is relaxed he's
1: all droopy and relaxed and the window go out the window <laughs> and he's like whispering the whole time it's just perfect it's so good and so like like heartbreakingly tender like like why why can't we all just stay that good and innocent forever like I don't know if you've ever if – your, if your kid's ever done something and this feeling kind of wells up inside of you like I don't want you to ever, ever grow up because this world is – like you're just too good for this world. <laughs> and it's going to knock you around in horrible ways and I just want you to be just like you are forever. <laughs> um, I don't know There's something of that like – Well – It's beautiful.
2: I mean I – I'm sure I've had those moments where like, it's just like, this is pure innocence coming from my children. But I also had a moment of like the world encroaching, Uh um, just last week on Friday nights, we let my daughter who's six, you know, watch some kid shows on the DVR and, or Netflix or something Uh, later, you know, she could stay up later watching some shows, which she doesn't during school week, but she came up and she'd been watching, uh, you know, something that was recorded on the, on the DVR and it had cut to, you know, regular TV. And she came up and she said, there's a bad show on, And I went down and it it was the news talking about Paris, Uh, Um, but it was that, and we actually like had a conversation about what happened in Paris right then. And it was this, the, the real world and some of that harshness that you're talking about, like just encroaching onto this girl who was watching, you know, Teen Titans go or something like that, you know, or or odd squad. And suddenly, Oh daddy, there's a bad show on. And it's the news. Yeah, man, this world. Well, I, I did want to say, like, I think it's fitting with this, that, um, going back to that, uh, presentation I saw with the children's television workshop, they said when the actor who plays Mr. Hooper died, mm-hmm. um, they did an episode of Sesame street. That was Mr. Hooper, Mr. Hooper's funeral, essentially like uh-huh. they, they had the character die and, um, they, this happened in the eighties and they said they, they like tried to get news and press out saying we're doing this episode dealing with a very hard topic and you know, we want everyone to know that this is coming and they aired it. Uh, I, I want to say they aired it later than usual so that parents could be home. And they said, we would never do that today because parents don't watch with their children. <laughs> like, yeah. we, would, we wouldn't want to drop that kind of an episode on children who have been left alone downstairs or anything like that. But That's they, it. they, you know, wanted to deal with this issue. They, they weren't going to recast Mr. Hooper and he had been such a beloved part of the franchise, which I love seeing him in this. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me because he was, he was there when we were kids. Wasn't he Todd? He was,
1: I don't- I remember Gordon really well, and Bob yes um and Maria and Maria I don't remember Mr Hooper like not not as well as I remember mm-hmm. the others,
2: right, but it's just interesting to me that um, they're so aware of how this product that they're making is being consumed that it's actually like changing the, the changing way that it's being consumed is also changing what material they they put in there. Cause they know that, you know, the target audience is kids and in the eighties they were willing to deal with some tougher issues with kids than
1: they are today. That is really, really interesting.
0: I, I have a, a lighter note going back to something you mentioned earlier, Todd, <laughs> about the children <laughs> interacting so convincingly with, yes. with the puppets or the Muppets. Like, I don't know. They're not owned yeah, by the Muppets. How do I not, phrase they're it? They're not part of the Muppets company anymore. So, I'm um, concerned. but in interviews I've heard with, with performers who perform the Muppets, they say there is a conflict that occurs between them and directors uh-huh. about how directors direct them <laughs> in they, the scene. Cause after, after take the directors they, they, will tell the puppet to do something. <laughs> yeah. Like, like directors will come up and talk to a puppet <laughs> As if the puppet can see its mark. Yeah. Like the director's like
2: talking, like pointing to the puppet's eyeline of where he's like, can you see
0: this? Like, no, eyeline is over here. (laughs) I don't, I can't see what you're pointing at. You're way way down
1: here. (laughs) That's interesting. They
0: have to go up and, you know, look over the counter and say, okay, can you, you know, move two feet over? (laughs) Yeah. Instead of like Grover, can you just go over here? I can't see where you're pointing.
1: (laughs) I never had realized how expressive Grover is but his eyes never move and his mouth doesn't move at all but it's just it's like i mean it's it's comedic genius oh, it's and so and grover good. with
2: his gangly limbs that are just flailing around yes <laughs> well i think that some of that goes back to uh our episode on mouse that we we talked about um harris uh-huh. doing really simple art but it becomes so expressive when the emotion of those moments are there. Yes, and the emotion of you know these kids who clearly adore Grover and Grover going and giving the kids a hug when they can't figure it out. Like there's uh-huh. one. Is it the boy? Is it? It's the boy who's pretending to be asleep. That like they they like we 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 haven't solved this riddle of how Santa Claus does it, and the boy is a little sad about it. And Grover kind of puts his arms around him and they <laughs> they touch heads and kind of hug for uh-huh. a moment.
1: And when he leans in, when he leans in and he's talking to the little boy that's asleep, it's just like. When I'm talking to my little three-year-old who's asleep or just almost asleep, and I say, Ian, Ian, can I tell you something? I love you. <laughs> and he's like, I love you, Daddy. But he's like, you know, half asleep like that. <laughs> yes. It's exactly what it's like. It was so, so beautiful. I love it. See, I do have a heart. There you go. <laughs> I just don't have an imagination.
2: <laughs> um I, I do want to just acknowledge that, uh, the Cookie monster scenes that comedy holds up. That is comedy gold. Oh yeah. <laughs> he eats the, uh, the typewriter. the typewriter and the ribbon is still like dangling out of his mouth. And he's like, he's looking around for the typewriter and he's like confused that there's this ribbon coming out of and his mouth pulls, and he picks he it kind up of and pulls it like a,
1: like a, you know, when the like a tape measure kind or, of, <laughs> yeah. When the spaghetti's hanging out of your mouth and you can pull it like out of the back of your throat. It's exactly what he's doing. It's really great. And, um, when he started eating his pencil, my kids were like, is he eating his pencil? <laughs> and I said, yeah, uh yeah, I think he is. And it, they just it was so they thought it was so funny and I was laughing out loud. It's really really funny. Yeah, there's something that's so simple and
2: um Jim Henson like his his comedy didn't start uh you know the the muppets they did weren't for children per se. Like it, some of his first uh usage of muppets is actually on um like uh late show kind of uh, variety, you know, late night variety for adults. Is oh, uh-huh. it was. and he had. Um... I have a DVD with some of these clips and there's like a green version of cookie monster that's eating this, this machine that explodes and the cookie monster Muppet disappears. But it's like, clearly this is like a proto cookie monster is working out, but this was comedy that was being done for grownups and the audience is just cracking up. And I crack up when I watch it.
0: You can find that one online, the like the prototype cookie monster who's green oh, and really he has teeth. Yeah. Still. Yeah. He has like these sharp teeth and then he doesn't like disappear, like explode. He like coughs up smoke. Doesn't he? Oh, I can't remember that bit at the end, but yeah, that's it's, interesting it's,
1: because the, this new Muppet Show came out this year, and I I haven't seen it, but I've read some reviews, and apparently it's like adult.
2: Yeah, I, and um, more so for the Muppet Show than anything ever on Sesame Street. But there, there'd be layers of the humor that were kind of going both ways. Yeah, <laughs> um, in in the old Muppet variety show, I've only seen the pilot of the new Muppet Show. I was kind of disappointed. I've heard it's gotten its legs under it a little bit better, uh, maybe after. Uh, the first one, and it, I wouldn't say like adult. it's not like this is, these are the jokes you'd see on, you, you know, friends or anything like that, yeah. but it's not, um, something that's geared towards the younger audiences the way Sesame street definitely is. And even the, uh, the old Muppet show yeah, was yeah. writing both lines. This one's more for people who are awake at eight thirty at night.
1: I think we would call those people adults.
2: Yes. But but I mean, but when we say adult <laughs> humor like there's a connotation to that that yes. I don't think quite
1: fits. Okay. <laughs> I was going I wanted to give a nod to Bert and Ernie for their acting. Uh,
2: <laughs> which again their eyes aren't moving, their mouths are really static flaps. That, you know stiff flaps that can go up and down, but
1: But it's that that scene, I'm sorry, the scene when they take their when they're trading in the the rubber ducky and the and the uh paper, the paper collection it's like so full of emotion it's really <laughs> when, when their voice kind of cracks and, the, and the way the
2: beautiful the Muppeteers hold their heads like with the downward glances uh-huh. and the, like it's weird to say but like they're they make it so the Muppets are like so sad they're not making
1: eye contact with Mr. Hooper which they never do <laughs> But you feel it in the way the buffeteers work I it's think better acting it's better acting than I see on primetime like big network primetime shows
2: when they're when they're trying to get those moments that are supposed to make you feel something and you're kind of like mm, the, you know the actors aren't quite hitting it yeah yeah uh, and, and I think uh, all the credit in the world to the Muppeteers that do that, yes. that, which it, Jim Henson was doing Ernie at that point, and he obviously invented, <laughs> you know, mu- <laughs> Muppeteering, so uh, something of a master there. Uh, but I, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Muppeteer. Like, I was obsessed with really? out how they did these things, and, like, I was reading the behind-the-scenes, you know, the books about the history of the Muppets and all this stuff.
1: And I, I never got into any of that behind-the-scenes stuff, and, I mean, like I said earlier, even now, like, knowing... I know in my brain how they do it, but it's like some somehow the curtain gets pulled back over everything, and just, it just they all just disappear. I have moments of curiosity where I'm like, how in the world is that happening? But most of the time, I just am really into these characters and laughing at what they're doing or feeling sad about the, the, the poor Ernie's lost his rubber tacky. <laughs> it's, <so, laughs> it's just amazing. Um, how it's done and how, uh, how full the illusion is that you can even, um, you can have kids there who can see a person with his hand inside of that little creature. And yet the kids know that it's, that they're talking to Grover. That's just awesome.
2: All right. Well, any final thoughts, Todd?
1: I thought um I was uh I was interested and surprised to see so much of the Sesame Street set. Yeah. Like we see on top of the house, you see them uh Big traveling on the you see them on the train, you see Big Bird's nest, see, where inside he, a couple different apartments. Uh, you go inside of Bob's apartment, inside Corinth's apartment, the ice, ice rink, the train the street. Yeah, I thought that was uh that was surprising to me as well. But cool.
0: Mm hmm.
2: Um. I will say like just in final thoughts, uh, I do end up wondering a little bit where are Patty's parents? (laughs) (laughs) Because, uh, you know, she, she goes out to check on Big Bird, like fairly late at night (laughs) and goes back and runs into Gordon and says, Big Bird's missing. It's like, well, um, Patty, where, why are you out checking
0: on Big Bird in the
2: middle of the night? Uh, which I guess like, we don't worry about that as much with the Muppet characters. Like Big Bird's supposed to be six, but he just kind of lives in his nest with an electric blanket. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine um so yeah uh that was something that i thought was odd and i will say uh one thing that does definitely date this special is the long
1: musical numbers without oh. a whole lot happening <laughs> yeah yeah very long musical numbers um which are i mean it's pretty music
2: and there's like the one that's sign language that's kind of cool that they're doing sign language uh-huh. which you really have to give Sesame Street credit for its inclusivity of
1: oh, yeah, <laughs> the whole <absolutely>. human race
2: <laughs> of you know having a, a deaf character and doing a you know signing a song with the deaf character yeah uh, you know it, completely multiracial in a way that so few shows in the seventies and eighties were
1: yeah
0: yeah so. it's really nice what what did Count Von Count count barrels uh, barrels in the ice rink when, Br- when be- jumps over because every ice rink has barrels well they,
2: well they set up barrels to jump over. <laughs> As, as one does, yeah, at, as one the does ice at the ice rink. Ice cream, right, yeah, jumped yeah. over three, Ernie pretended to jump over three, and then Cookie Monster tried to jump over them and smashed them off. And the count just counted them. Did yeah. a performer actually jump over three barrels? Yes. Yeah. For Bert. I, <laughs> this is a, Whoa. such a... Okay, I'm going to stick with my reputation of, of nitpicking. <laughs> <But> <laughs> at the ice rink, there's this weird moment where they're playing hockey with Bert shoe, but Bert's sock still has an ice skate coming out of it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> I totally. Which I, I think, had to even do, as like, a, a kid, I take like, on "Wait, that. What? <laughs> How does his sock still have a, but his shoe did not Didn't have a, a thing on it?" Yeah. Interesting. So their sock maybe the. So do, do you think that they strap the the skate to the bare foot, and then the the sock and the shoe have maybe a slit inside of them, or or is the sock the skate and the shoe just fits on the outside like a shell? Yes.
0: Yeah. I, I, I always imagine more the latter one. Okay, it's uh, it's like in Batman and Robin, they just like click their feet together and ice skates pop out. Oh, in in, in, in the Mister Freeze Batman and Robin film, yes.
2: Where where did those
1: come from? Is that the Val Kilmer one? No, no, that's the, the like, George Floyd Clooney Floyd. one
2: with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, Mister Freeze. <laughs>
1: that's right, George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, George Clooney's most famous
0: role, <laughs> Batman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Somehow we really have forgotten that George Clooney played Batman. Yeah, How did he do that? He doesn't like really he... look like himself in it. Like it, It's his least George Clooney looking. It was Obliviate. <laughs> we all got an Obliv-
2: Obliviate curse. <laughs> yes. or, or the little flashers in Men in Black. Yes.
1: <laughs> you will forget you ever saw this film.
2: Yes. I, I want to be, win Academy Awards, so Remember please forget, forget that I
1: was in Batman. And brother, Oh Brother, so, Where Art Thou? <laughs> oh, we need to talk
2: about a Brother, Where Art Thou? I don't uh, know how we ended up on a Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> <laughs> in our conversation about Big Bird in uh, Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, but, uh, Todd, any final thoughts? It's a delightful
1: film. I highly recommend it for this holiday season. Sit down with your kiddies. Uh, yeah,
2: especially if you have makes some hot and, chocolate and, and the enjoy Three to seven or eight range
1: and enjoy it. It really don't don't be put off by the long musical number at the very beginning. Uh, it is not Disney. It's not the Sesame Street on ice. It's actually a real <laughs> Sesame Street story, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's really good.
2: I do love the complete lack of explanation as to what happens when they step through the ice rink door, and suddenly they're back to their regular puppets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just something happens there. Now
1: who's the one that doesn't have an imagination?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did want to just mention as one last thing. I think it's kind of interesting how in uh, so many of children's entertainment around Christmas season – it seems like a lot of the plots are about introducing doubt (laughs) into Christmas. Yes. (laughs) About, have you ever wondered? (laughs) And if all of our shows didn't do that, would we have so many questions? (laughs) Christmas time. (laughs) Like the the movies always end up reaffirming, you know, faith and belief and joy at Christmas, but there's just a lot of them that are
1: about kind of being a curmudgeon about it at the start. (laughs) I did think that this one was really cool. Uh, Maybe this will be my last thought. Maybe unless I think of something else, but, um, I thought it was cool. So they, they're up on the big birds up on the roof. This strange shadowy figure comes, you hear the bells, but he's asleep and then he comes down and they open up and the apartment's all full of, uh, of presents. And the tree has been decorated. Does Santa Claus decorate everyone's tree? Because I, I always had to decorate no, my own tree yeah, as a no. kid. I,
2: and I remember from a kid I'm thinking like, Whoa, why does Santa decorate their tree? Yeah.
0: <laughs> also well, our tree was decorated By the second week in December at the latest. Yes. I thought it was weird that they were carrying a Christmas tree
2: home on Christmas Eve, which I see in Christmas specials sometimes, that it's always like, really, just for one day?
1: It's a little late. (laughs) So, listeners, if you are a a Christmas Eve tree putter-upper... Please let us know on Facebook uh, because uh, I had the same experience. Our tree goes up early and we decorated ourselves. But, you know, Santa Claus treats everybody different, and that's just part of the magic of Santa. The other thing that I thought was cool is that in the end, when Gordon delivers the the big um, final speech about what the moral of this story is, it's not about, oh, well, Big Bird, you need to believe. Like, look, Santa really came. He just says, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, and the it's the not, important thing it's the important, important thing important. is that we're together. Like the that's the miracle thing, of Christmas. Yes,
1: the miracle of Christmas is that we're together and that we have this feeling of love, and the whole Santa thing just doesn't matter. And that is a great Christmas message. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wish more kids had that uh, that message drilled into them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I thought that was really great at the end. That that's the message of this is. It doesn't matter. presents don't matter. Santa Claus doesn't really matter. What really matters is that we're together and we love each other. And that's cool.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Todd, for that final thought. And that wraps up this episode. So thank you for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And if you've already done that, please recommend that someone else subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And all of you can still leave us a review. Uh, on itunes that helps us to gain new listenership and it also helps us feel better about ourselves when we get good reviews there and links to everything that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com and you can also find all of our previous episodes linked there you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss and give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at com, and we're all also on twitter at protagonistpod at Todd K. Mack and at Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski and our Facebook fan page where most of our uh, listener discussion takes place is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast and if you'd like to buy a topic for us to discuss or just give us a little donation you can please go to patreon.com slash protagonist thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long
1: so long one take one take
2: where'd go (laughs) man Uh it is at patreon uh dot com slash protagonist podcast. Dang it. I <laughs> <laughs> lost it. Patreon dot com okay.